Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain, a podcast of meaningful workshops to improve the quality of life for those affected by a brain injury. Our goal is to give you tools and tips to give your recovery a boost. We want to help you become the best you can be. My name is Candace Gant. I'm a brain injury survivor and founder of Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Foundation. I'm also proud to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. Joining me today is Katya Bowen. Katya is a speech language pathologist and a certified brain injury specialist in Western Massachusetts. She has worked in the clinical setting for 20 years treating patients with acquired and traumatic brain injury. She has worked in both the outpatient and acute care settings. Katya's interest in brain injury comes from being the sibling of a TBI survivor and as a person who has sustained, sustained multiple concussions in her own life. She has spoken, presented, and written about brain injury recovery and frequently collaborates with TBI mentor and coach Stasia Bissell and you heard from her last week or the week before in our podcast, and it was so brilliant. If you haven't listened to it, please go back and look at our library for that terrific interview with Stasia. And to continue, Katia specializes in practical and individualized treatment to support brain injury recovery from return to home, return to work, and return to school. She's also known for her ability to explain complex ideas in an accessible and often humorous, which we all need, way that is designed to help her patients and her loved ones understand brain injury as a phenomena, as a process, and as a part of their lives moving forward. Thank you, Katya, for joining us in the studio today. You're welcome. It's great to be here. I can't wait to dig into learning more about your work with brain injury survivors. I believe Stacia is a powerful testimony of how successful your work is. Can you first start by telling us how your career as an SLP, speech language pathologist, and S, oh, excuse me, CBIS, certified brain injury specialist started? How did it all start? It all started when I was in my previous career, which was in financial services. Oh, and yeah, I know, strange. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm what they call the non-traditional student. Mm -hmm. So I was in financial services, and at that time, uh, I was not happy in that field. Wanted to pursue something else, but I did not know what I could do as a career. I had many diverse interests but I couldn't pull everything together in a meaningful or purposeful way, or so it seemed to me. Mm -hmm. And around that time, there was a woman at work who was a mentor of mine, and she had what we thought at the time was a stroke at the age of 37. It later turned out to be her first episode of multiple sclerosis. But as she was recovering, this very, very proud, classic New England, proper Yankee gal, mm -hmm. she refused to contact or communicate with anybody from work except 
me. For some reason, I was the only person that she would talk to, and she had significant problems with her speech and language. It took her about six months to recover. And that first day that she came back to work, she found me and said, I'm taking you out to lunch. So I went out to lunch with her and she handed me the business card for her speech language pathologist that she had worked with at the hospital. And mm -hmm. she said, I think I found your career. I couldn't help but think of you every time I worked with this woman. So here was a career I'd never even heard of. And I researched it and made the leap of, of uh, quitting my financial services job, taking on a series of part-time jobs and going to school. That's a huge leap. It is. <laughs> a leap of faith, honestly, <laughs> from a career that you knew and, and um, for all intents and purposes enjoyed if you'd done that for so long. And now you're going to just dive into something that you're not familiar with. That, that was really a leap of faith. It was. And, it was. and a great recommendation by a dear friend. Correct. I mean, to have somebody say that to me, I thought, you know, this this woman's pretty savvy. She knows me very well. I think I need to listen here because yeah. clearly, you know, selling stocks and bonds is no, was not for me. <laughs> not, not fulfilling. No, indeed. And so it. Let's talk about then helping brain injury survivors. And is helping brain injury survivors all about speech. So there's my, so when I think of a speech therapist, I think of speech sounds, language, communication, your voice inflections, and even swallowing. So how does that work that you would be able to improve outcomes of brain injury survivors through speech? Well, it gets kind of complicated because speech language pathology or speech therapy is probably the worst descriptor for what my field does. At one point, sure, what we focused on was just speech or just speech and language. And that is what we focused on pretty much from the 1800s up through the 1940s. Then somewhere along the line, we began to include things like swallowing and cognition. So how your brain uses information to interact with your environment. That happened after the Second World War. We suddenly had an influx of veterans coming back with brain injuries, language disorders, cognitive disorders, and everybody in the rehabilitative field, which was pretty young at the time, began to try to figure out how do we help these people? And because we had such a huge influx of people, we suddenly had all of this data. We had all of this information we could use to develop tests, to develop um, reference tables of, of information, normative data, as we call that. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we went from being strictly therapists to being pathologists, people who analyze and evaluate and diagnose and plan treatment. So you pull all of that together. How does that help people with brain injuries? Depending upon where your brain injury is or how severe your brain injury is, or what caused your brain injury, you can have disorders in all of those areas. You can have problems with your speech, just moving your mouth to produce a sound. You can have problems with language. I know what I want to say, but I can't find the right word for it. You can have problems with therefore communicating 
Maybe I can write, but I can't read. And that happens. Maybe I can speak, but I can't write. And swallowing, very common disorder. Um, in a hospital setting, a great deal of what I do involves returning people's ability to swallow. And then we come to our pal cognition, which is so important to people with brain injuries. How do we help that brain use the information from its environment to help you function? Huge deficit that yes. I think across the board, I think you'll agree that that is a common challenge for brain injury survivors. I know that there's some unique challenges people have, but I think across the board, we find that a lot. Correct, correct. And all those other things, speech and language and communication, swallowing, voice, yes. all of those are controlled by the brain. I think it's incredible that we've never considered that a speech therapist would have so many connections with making a robust recovery. Well, there is uh, an old expression associated with speech pathology, um, and that is there have been people that have referred to us, and this is actually a, an affectionate way of referring to our profession, although it doesn't sound this way. Uh, it's referred to as the garbage pail profession because we open the garbage pail and we take on and treat a lot of things that the other therapeutic disciplines and the other medical disciplines were not interested in. So it became, oh, nobody's addressing voice. Well, we better take that. And nobody's addressing swallowing. Well, we better take that. And cognition got pulled into that as well. So we, it's a very, very broad field of practice. Incredible. And, and so maybe you could help me define, or you would define for us, the difference between a speech therapist, or is there a difference between a speech therapist and a speech pathologist? No, there really isn't. We tend to like to use the term speech pathologist because the emphasis then gets placed on the fact that we're not just technicians administering a treatment. Uh, we are the people who are also collecting the information and diagnosing and planning the treatment itself. So we do it all. Uh, as opposed to a situation where I might say to somebody, I want you to treat Mr. Smith and I want you to use the following ways of doing this. Mm -hmm. I'm the one that says, Mr. Smith needs this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to change it according to what he needs and continue to plan that way. So you organize the, uh, the treatment plan. You're part I of a team that helps that. Correct. And I administer it. Indeed. Now, let's talk a little bit more about, since uh, the audience, I'm sure, and myself want to know, so what tools do you use to help accomplish those goals of getting back to work and getting back to school and play? How does that play? What role does, do you play and what tools do you use? So the short answer to that is we use whatever it takes. <laughs> yes. Okay. This is, a, this is a sort of a recovery situation where you are constantly grabbing and using whatever you can as a tool to help the person who's recovering achieve the goals that they have set. Um, I explain it to graduate students in this manner. When, when people are learning to become speech pathologists, they have to go and do clinical practice under the supervision of somebody who is already a speech pathologist. So what I say to them is you can't focus on the diagnosis. You can't say brain injury. 
what you have to focus on is that this person had a life and an identity and a future that was there before this accident or this disease occurred. What they want more than anything else is to get that life back and to get that identity back. And we have to be able to say to them, we'll try, we'll try to get you as close as we can. We can't guarantee that you're going to get there. And maybe it's not going to be what you had planned, but let's use what you love. Let's use the people that you love. Let's use the places that you're used to. Um, everything that we can, all those aspects to design a program to help you to get that brain to do what you want it to do, what you need it to do, to return you to that place. And that's, uh, that's what we do. So maybe that is okay, you want to go back to being a college student, I need to see your syllabus. I need to see who your professors are. I need to know what your curriculum is. Uh, maybe I need to see what your dorm room looks like. Maybe I need to see what your campus looks like. What does it sound like? What are the temperatures like? So all of that comes into play. And I might look at somebody and say, great, you're an accountant and you want to go back to work as an accountant, but Aside from being an accountant, what else do you want to do? Is, is golfing meaningful to you? Great. If that's what gives you joy, how can we help you get back to that? Helping your brain to be able to keep track of, okay, I'm at this hole. Did I go yet? Have I had my turn? Who's my partner? So there's an awful lot that goes in there. Indeed. And I want to go back to that. You said something really interesting about the college campus. Mm -hmm. And do you work with the accommodations office? Whenever I can. Yes. Yeah, to accomplish uh, their goals to, yes. to help to, so that they know to identify. These are the identifiable goals and how do they play a role in that? Correct. And what's unique with college students is they're also they've just made that switch from having everything sort of controlled and taken care of for them in the high school setting. Mm -hmm. to guess what mm -hmm. now it's mm -hmm. not up to a special education office to find you and help you it is up to you to take ownership of your particular situation with your brain to tell the college to tell all of the support services at the college this is what I need help with and then it's up to you to continue to use those resources. So there's a big switch there. Yeah, yeah, the, and you need a partner in it to help Correct. you achieve your goals. Mm -hmm. That's that's brilliant. Thanks for that. Yeah, uh, and and getting back to then work life balance and understanding and finding what it is that that is exciting to you and you want to return to some normal activities. How do you work with someone? And we can use Stacia as an example, perhaps, of <laughs> how, you, how you identify those goals again and get your identity back. How do you get that back? So, you know, that, yeah. that interview that you had with her was just, that was brilliant. And it was wonderful that you actually identified that, that sort of need to return to who am I? Mm -hmm. You know, when we go to a 
we go to a social event, you know, you go to, let's say a wedding or something, you go someplace where you don't know everybody. And as you're meeting new people, one of the first things that they will ask you is, so what do you do? Right. Indeed. Right? Yes. That's how we identify yourself. And it might be, you might identify yourself by your job. Oh, I'm a mechanic. Mm -hmm. Or you might identify yourself by what you do out of love. I'm a fly fisherman, but I also work as a mechanic. Okay. So in with Stacia, it's so, so what do you love? And what I got from her was, of course, teaching, teaching, indeed, family. Yes. Um, And so, all right, that's where we're going to start from. Tell me more about your school. Tell me more about your family. And it's in that interview process that you start to notice so much that you have to work with uh, in terms of, oh boy, she's struggling to put a sentence together. Or she keeps coming back to talking about her kids. Or maybe she keeps coming back to talking about, man, I was almost a principal. I was on my way. So this gives you a really good sense of, wow, this is where this person wants to get back to. And then depending upon all of the testing that you do, and indeed, we're going to sit people down and we're going to make them go through a battery of tests. Um, The tests tell us a great deal. The scores on the tests, I like to tell people, those are for the insurance companies. Because they like numbers. Okay. Yes. Yes. So your score, that's for the guy who's doing the pencil pushing over at your insurance company. Mm -hmm. That does not tell us not that doesn't tell us nearly as much as what you had to do and what you had to go through to get that score. If you scored really, really superbly on all of these test instruments. So that just by looking at the numbers, I would say, oh, yeah, this guy's great. Send him right back there to, you know, engineering buildings. Um, That's that can be misleading because if in the process of getting those scores, my patient is sitting there holding his head in his hands and he's in tears and he's shaking and he looks like he's nauseated, then that's really significant. That tells me no you're not ready to go back to work and do that because it's killing you just to get through 30 minutes. Yeah. So that- and we all want to do well on a test. That's just sure. it. Right. And, and I, so I'm not going to purposely fail. I want to show them that I'm a bright person that I can accomplish that, that I have a very good set. I have a high education and right. that, that really drives our response to testing. Absolutely. So there's that <laughs> test anxiety. There's that need to please. There's now mm-hmm. you also- been put in a situation where medical professionals are all around you telling you, you can't, you can't, you can't. Right. Right. And every that's, day. that's their job. <laughs> no one feels good doing that. Bar that. Low. Like, that's right. At the, at the bar low. You can't, you can't, you can't. And well, oh yeah, Constantly. I can't show you I can. Yes. And then when you find out that, oh boy, that didn't go the way I expected it to, um, that is also part of the process. Um, that's insight. And insight is, uh, it's a necessary component of recovery. It seldom feels good. I, I liken it to cauterizing a wound. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're going, oh, yeah. Yeah, that hurts me thinking about it. It, it hurts, right? But if you don't do it, nothing gets better. 
Uh, Stacia described that when she was talking about the card cast. That was one of her moments of insight and it didn't feel good, uh, but it had to happen. Had so to happen. testing interviews with the patient, interviews with their loved ones, with their employers, with their teachers. Uh, in some cases, if you're really lucky as a speech pathologist, your employer will be kind enough to let you go to where that person works or lives or goes oh, yeah. to school so that you can be in the environment and say, oh yeah, we go to work on all of these things. You, know, you get a sense of what they hear, what they see, what they smell, what they feel, because all of those things are also affected by brain injury. Very true. Anyone, anyone who's tried to go to sleep when there's a mosquito in the room <laughs> knows that, that if, there's, if there's something that's you know, nudging you for lack of a better term, it's really hard to focus on the task at hand. So if your body can't regulate temperature or if your brain can't tune out competing noise or if those overhead fluorescent lights are giving you a headache, how well can you do your job and how well we be able to know that that's bothering you unless we've watched it. And you certainly don't want them to be discouraged in getting in a situation where they, they've lost, you know, they've already had an identity crisis and now they get back to what they hope is a normal routine and that they fail or they have disagreements or they have some roadblocks to their recovery. We don't want that to happen. And no, so you why, why crush someone's spirit, right? Yes. <laughs> that doesn't help. That, that yes, doesn't... they need encouragement and, and of course um, the platform to succeed. Correct. One of the things that was very popular for a long time in, in speech pathology was this concept of errorless learning. You know, don't let your patient or your client make an error when they're trying to do a task. You see them going the wrong way, you head them off before they make the error. And uh, as a graduate student, I worked with that sort of theory for a while and said, this is ridiculous. This is not how human beings learn. We learn through success and we learn through error. Right. And failures. One of, sure. Right. So one of the things that I often tell people is, uh, or, or tell other clinicians or tell students, I say, you have to allow your patients the human dignity of failure. You have to allow that. Um, they're adults. You know, I don't work with a lot of pediatrics. So for the most part, I can say they're adults. Mm -hmm. Let them fail, let them try, let them fail, and then walk them through the process of saying, wow, what great information can we get from this to help make it so this doesn't happen you, either at all, or it doesn't happen as much, or right. when it does happen, it's not as catastrophic. Let's build but have a strategy to handle it, that I'm That's going to right. fail at some things. What do I do about it? Right. And let's teach you how to, how to prevent a fire instead of having to put one out. Right. Hmm. So good analogies. And so tell us, we, I want to go back to this goal setting and the identity crisis and finding really what drives your passion and who you are. How does someone identify that? Do you need, and of course, I know that in your profession, it'd be best to have an expert to help you. Uh, is there something they can do at home to sit back and do a self-evaluation and, and really explore what, what their passions are? Sure. So 
it, you know, it does help to have a professional to help guide you through the process because you're using your brain to do this process and your brain is the thing that's injured. Right, right. So you're not sure if you'll get to the finish line. If you're, <laughs> right. if you're on the right road, the roadmap might be uh, yeah, through some tough territory. Right. And the roadmap might be through a territory you don't even know you're in. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, right. No self-awareness. Okay. So mm-hmm. you might think you're in a tunnel. No, you're driving through the Mojave Desert. No, you don't know. <laughs> Wrong it. direction. Wrong direction. Right. So, so it's hard to identify it at home. You think that really. It, it is. It isn't. And that's where you rely on your family members and your uh, friends yes. and your coworkers. I, you know, I refer to them as my gang of spies. You know, I will, <laughs> good, I will. good analogy. Yeah, I like that language. I just turn around to someone when they tell me, no, I'm fine. I'm doing absolutely fine. They say, well, oh, that's yes. good. And then I turn to the spouse and I say, what do you think about that? And they go, no, they're not. They're, no, 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 no. My children are, are really honest when I've asked that same question. If you yes. have, yes, that gang of spies, they the were all spies. They are friendly spies and they're yes. there to tell me what you can't see because you can't be the outside third party observer. Mm-hmm. That's hard enough for people that don't have cognitive issues. It's a very difficult task. Never mind trying to do it when your brain can't organize the information. Right. So right. you might come with a bad outcome, an outcome that is not what is in your best interest. Correct. What is not in your best interest, what is not realistic. Um, So that's that you employ those other people and they help provide that information. And then from that, you can sort of gather everything together and say, great, so what, what do you want to go back to doing? You know, is that a realistic goal at this point? Is that a realistic goal, let's say in six months? and then say, what, what's really important to you? If I, if I gave you uh, all of these things that you could work on, mm-hmm. which one of these is the most important to you? Not to, I really want to you know, make sure that I'm, I'm good at this thing because uh, you know, it's important to uh, how my family views me or it's important to my standing with my friends. No, what's important to you? Life is going to get boiled down to its most basic and pure essentials at this point. What do you want? And from that, we build. And the goals start off small. It might be, okay, you want to make pancakes for your kids. And right now, if Stacia's listening to this, she's laughing. Okay. (laughs) You want to make pancakes for your kids. And you can't just do it on autopilot like you've been doing it for the past 20 years. What do you need to do to make that happen? Well, we've got to organize it. So let's organize it. Let's see what you need and what are the steps and how do you ensure that you follow the steps in the right sequence? And uh, hey, what do you think might go wrong? What do you think you can do to keep that from going wrong? And it's to that level. So you start with small tasks. You build from those into the larger tasks. Okay, you're going to go back and talk to human resources now. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, yeah, so right. (laughs) So let's plan. We're in denial. We're in denial to begin with uh, as a brain injury survivor. Right. So, what could possibly go wrong there? What do you think we can do to help keep that from going wrong? Who do you think might be able to help you in that instance? So, the tasks get bigger 
and they get more abstract uh, with sometimes with greater consequences. And so you do that sort of planning. And there's also uh, planning and analysis in terms of saying, hey, how much can you tolerate doing in a day? How do you reward? Right. So there's so much to pick apart and look at. And, and the nice thing is that as a profession, we have stopped focusing so much on, okay, here's some tests, here's some worksheets. Let's work on the worksheets. Uh, let's use this canned program. We've realized that brains and lives and human beings are so diverse and so different that we really do have to tailor it individually. Love it. I absolutely agree because we all have our different goals. We have to identify them and they're all different. Right. And I want to, in our last couple of minutes, what advice can you give our listeners or what tools, what advice to improve their recovery right now, today? And then how do, how do we direct them to get some help? Mm, okay. So uh, let's actually go with the getting them some help first. Okay. Okay. Uh, if they want to work with a speech language pathologist, then the way for them to do that is they can either be referred by their primary care physician or whatever doctor is um, the person who's the team leader to helping them with their recovery. That, and that might be their primary care, that might be the rehab doctor, that might be a neurologist, that whoever it is, they can help refer you. Or you can go to the website for the American Speech, Language, and Hearing Association, which is known as ASHA, A-S-H-A. You can go to asha.org and there will be links on that website for you to find a practitioner in your area. Oh, oh, so, nice. Say that again, would you, uh, Katia, give us that, those letters? A, S, like Sam, H, like Harold, A, A-S-H-A. Dot org. Excellent, thank you. You're welcome. So that's the governing association for speech language pathologists and audiologists. So that's where you can do that. Now in terms of what can you do today? The first thing you can do is uh, recognize that you're still you, okay? You're still you. If you're not able to be flying planes for Delta Airlines right now or writing software for the NSA or making donuts for Dunkin' Donuts, and these are all people I have had as clients, mm -hmm. right? right? You're still you, right? That's, that's still who you, you still are you in there. The next thing you need to recognize is that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. It's a series of marathons, more accurately. So just this is going to take time, and you can't just burn yourself out at the beginning. Uh, there are different types of programs and software that you can access if you want to try that. There's a wonderful uh, program that's called, uh, and I'm blanking on it. 
<laughs> we'll come back to it. And then, and what we'll do is we'll put it in the comments about this podcast. Okay. Um, okay. Let me think. Now. But what does it do? What It, what it actually allows you to do some speech therapy activities at home and track oh, the information. Right. And then you can share that with your speech pathologist. That's called constant therapy. Constant therapy. One word. Uh, yes, constanttherapy.com. Right. Great. Okay. Thank you. And I still will put it into the comments for the podcast so everybody will have it handy and a link to it. That's good. And so, uh, and then don't be afraid to get input from your family members and your loved ones and your friends. And you want to get this, by the way, from the people who are not afraid to be blunt and honest with you. Don't get it from the person who's going to sugarcoat it because that's not doing you a favor. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone looks at you and says, mom, I saw you heading for the car and I started having a heart attack at the thought of it. That's important to know. Yes. Okay. So all of those things are, are good. Don't be surprised when people say to you, the doctor says to you, I'm sending you to yet another specialist to get a, yet another thing evaluated. There's a reason for that. We've got to fix all the parts of the machine before we put the car on the highway. <laughs> right? Right. Um, right. Indeed. It, it's, it, I, I used to say this to, uh, I think I probably said this to Stacia at one point. I said, you know, your brain is like a Ferrari. You've got this super powerful engine, but you've got about 25 degrees of play in the steering wheel. So we need to help you get <laughs> right. your steering wheel on the road. Right. Put your hands back on the wheel, give you some more control and, and give you uh, a pleasant ride and not one where people are diving out of your way. Right. I love that. I'm going to use that in the title. <laughs> you are a Ferrari. You're a Ferrari. Yes. Keep your hands so, on the wheel. Keep your hands on the wheel. Let's help you put your hands back on the wheel. Let's help you get some control back over your life because everybody going through any sort of major life crisis and a brain injury is a major life crisis. Mm -hmm. The main thing that we all feel is I have no control. Right. Okay. That's it. Your hands back. Yep. So I, I can't thank you enough. This has been really terrific. I, I learned so much about SLP that I had no idea the depth and the breadth of, of the work that you do. So I, I thank you very much for spending time with us to describe that to us. You've really broadened my understanding of the importance and the role that speech therapy and pathology, how the big role that they play in our recovery and everyday activities, really. Well, thanks. It's a, it's a wonderful career. Indeed. I, it, I can hear it in your voice, how fulfilling and satisfying it is for you and how proud you are of the accomplishments of some of your patients. Very proud. I'm very proud of, of all my patients, even the ones that, that didn't succeed. I'm proud of them for at least trying. It's a hard you know, work. These are worried. They're doing some hard work. It's a scary thing. It takes a lot of guts to go out and do what they do. Yeah. True enough. And, and to our listeners, I want to tell you, thank you for joining us and listening to this important, valuable information. Please subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. There are millions. We know this. There are millions that are still struggling. 
and that you could help by providing this information. You can be a partner with us and follow us on Instagram and learn more about the vision of Mind Your Brain, be an advocate. There's lots of, lots of things that we can do to identify, not have an identity crisis, but to say, okay, this maybe is a new path for me. And maybe it has to do with helping other people, lifting other people up. So I wish to give you my virtual hug and tell you, you are not invisible to us. <laughs>